Hi there, Michael Zuber. Thanks for listening to the One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that the book One Rental at a Time is now available on Audible? Yes, to all my podcast listeners out there, One Rental at a Time is now available on Audible. Go check it out and please leave a five-star review. Have a great day. Hey everyone, I got an exciting show for you today. We're going to talk about what might be a hot a hot thing to do in the upcoming kind of market turmoil. And we're going to do that with Greg Dickerson. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I like talking about making money. Making money is a yeah, good topic. Man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> hot, hot market and, you know, in a heat wave. <laughs> yeah, so I think, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff going on. I think the last couple of weeks we've talked about uh, exodus from big cities to the suburbs. Uh, we've talked about high-tax states, low-tax states. And one of the things that I'm stumbling across right now from this channel is there are a lot of people um, that are going to make a lot of money flipping single family homes. And I thought you and I could talk about that today because I think you have a, a couple of examples. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I have, uh, so I coach some people that are flipping houses and I've got a couple of clients that I'm working with in two different areas, one in Florida, the other one in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And they are both, uh, one of them went under contract, had 12 offers in one day. And they're going to make a $90,000 profit on a, I don't know, two, $300,000 flip. That's the biggest profit they've ever made on a single flip in their entire career. Mm. And the cool part is they would have never got the deal had I not coached them. You oh, know? So it's, yes. it's, 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 all, it's just what you know, right? This is a deal that, that through my coaching, that's how it came about. And that's how they found the property. Um, and of course, you know, timing is everything, right? So inventory levels have contracted significantly with coronavirus. So, um, you know, there's a lot to that. It wasn't just because I'm coaching them that they're making that much. There's huge pent-up demand yeah. uh, with interest rates and everything, so it's a perfect storm. My other client in North Carolina, um, you know, he had a deal that he, he was falling apart, didn't know how to do it. His lending had fallen through, so he hired me, and I've been coaching him to help him resurrect that deal. Yeah. So not only did I help him resurrect it, I also showed him how to fund the rehab and everything and take the property down with almost no money out of his pocket, and he's going to make the biggest profit he's ever made on a flip and it's his first one huh. and I've kind of coached him through the whole pro process too. I mean, he'll make probably 60, 70,000, if not 80 on that one. Wow. And uh, same kind of thing. He's got multiple offers on that property too. So pretty interesting times out there. Yeah. So let's kind of break this down. And I think, I think we're seeing this again. We have to remember that there will be some winners and losers in the next two to six quarters. Losers are going to be the big vertical cities. Clearly that's an, you know, Renters are becoming owners and their renters are leaving big cities and going to the suburbs. So let's, let's first get all the negative Nancy's out of the way. And we're going to just talk about the suburbs that are winning. And uh, I think flipping homes is going to be very profitable. Uh, because so the city is an interesting converse, conversation because okay. yeah, there are people leaving, moving to the suburbs, but it's not enough to really make a huge dent, mm. but it is enough to create opportunity for people that would rather buy in the city now and lock in at these low rates instead of mm. these high rents. So the same kind of thing is happening in the city. <clears throat> there's not as much demand. There aren't multiple offers, you know, things like that going on like there right. are in the suburbs because there's a lot more inventory. So what you're going to see in the cities over the next few years, and even San Francisco hasn't changed. San Francisco is still a multiple offer, mm. high dollar, you know, Prices are still escalating. You know, there's certain areas and certain pockets of different areas yeah. where it's happening. But when you get into the big cities like a Seattle or like a San Francisco or like a 
uh, New York, you know, in some of those areas in certain parts, because mm-hmm. you're starting to see a glut of inventory. Yes. So it's creating real opportunities for people to step in and buy some, you know, uh, apartment buildings that they otherwise wouldn't have had access to. So, yeah. So there's a, it's a double-edged sword there. Yeah. What I would, what I would tell you um, is big cities, you know, the one Seattle, San Francisco, New York, you know, whoever you want to call, there will eventually be tremendous opportunities. Right. But I've seen this movie before listings start to rise and we're in that rise. Now mm-hmm. pain will grow because people don't want to hold vacant properties and have two mortgages and blah, blah, blah. So there will be some time over the next four to 10 quarters where there will be steals in the big cities. I would not, I don't think deals getting done today are steals, but there will be. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Today it's about all sectors in all sectors, all levels, all sectors. Yeah. Totally agree. It's out there. I'm, you know, I got dry powder waiting for that to happen. So I I agree with that, but today it is the suburbs because I just did. So I've done Vegas. I just did an interview with a broker from Phoenix yesterday because I'm seeing this over and over and over record low supplies. I mean, Phoenix going into this crisis, I'm going to go from memory. I think they had 12,000 active listings. It got as low as 10, like, in April when nobody was doing anything, it shot back up to 12 or 13. Now they're at eight. It's just the supply has gone away, right? The new listings have gone away. The builders are building as fast as they can. So if you can come in and use that as an opportunity, right? Buy a distressed asset, find a way to fund it um, with hard money or private money or whatever. Cause the, the winners now are ones that can develop product that passes FHA, right? That is, that's right. the hurdle, right? And um, FHA buyers, which AKA are owner occupants, they're coming in with three and a half percent down. And now if they're qualified, getting rates under three. So it's- And, you know, reports are out there that the rates are, you know, they're predicted to fall even more. There's an article out today by LendingTree, you know, expecting rates to fall, you know, even more. Um, You know, housing starts, interestingly enough, were a little bit off in some markets. But, you know, again, that was people shutting down because of coronavirus. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, they can't get their permits through the pipeline with some of the municipalities. So so that's going to create even more demand and even less inventory. So the last reports I was hearing from like Kay Schiller and, you know, whole builders, you know, um, resources were that, you know, and I know it's true with the labor shortage out there and with the difficulty in the entitlement process, permit process and supply chain, we can't build our way out of this inventory demand over the next 10 years. We could not build fast enough over the next 10 years to create enough housing to, to balance this demand out. Yeah. The other thing that I think I'm going to watch is I, I believe it, 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 housing is not like the stocks, right? Stocks move every minute up, down, crazy. Um, developers, they're making investments that are going to be a two, three year project. And the reason I think that is important is I think there were some projects being started uh, in in areas that were great in January that are horrible in July and and flip, right? There's not enough building going on in cities and and suburbs where there should be. And now demand is up even more. So when you look at that mismatch, this, this virus has changed consumers and it will take a while for builders to adjust. So we may have, we, we have less building, but we even have, less building in the right spots, if that makes sense. And here's the thing. So yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now here's a couple of things that are going on. Number one, everything that we're experiencing July of 2020, July 20th, 2020. Uh, that's right. That's pretty interesting. July yeah. 2020, 2020. Um, 
you know, so we, we are on the rebound with coronavirus. We haven't entered the fall yet. So we don't know what's going to happen. We don't yeah. know what this is going to look like. We don't know what it's going to shut down or how long. All we know is it's rebounding with a vengeance in terms of, you know, caseloads and hospitalizations are on the rise. Yeah. Um, as we get treatments and we get better with the treatments and the vaccines, which are expected into this year, first to next year, you know, we could get things under control. So once it's under control and it's behind us where there's no longer any worry about getting it, there's either a vaccine or a treatment. So that's off the table. Then what does the world look like? Do people yeah. come back? You know, do they say, you know what, we don't need to worry about this. So, so this is a short-term temporary thing in terms of people's behavior right now. So that demand might dry up at some point when they're out there, they've ridden the storm out, Mm-hmm. And then they say, man, look how cheap apartments are in these cities and condos are in these cities. Could. So, boom, the surge could go back the other way. Mm-hmm. What's it, the other thing that's really interesting is, and of course, this is all interest rate driven. What's driving the demand and purchasing is interest rates. If the interest rates were not where they were, people would stay put because it wouldn't mm-hmm. make any sense. Mm-hmm. So they're buying more, more house, more room for a lot less money because of interest rates. And it's cheaper to buy than rent right now when you, when you look at interest rates. Um, the other thing is home builders. Mm-hmm. So there's demand and they're selling as fast as they can build, but they're not building in anticipation of selling. Yes. They're building to the sale. So they're not throwing thousands of spec houses out there like we saw 2008-9 You're right. that caused the crash where literally people forget, you know, you talk to Steve Trang out there in, in Phoenix, yep. they had subdivisions with 1,400 to 5,000 homes that were built, completed, and vacant. Yeah. Nobody bought them. Yeah. That's how far ahead of the supply we were in 08 and 09. Yeah. So all we've really done is work through some of that. Some of that stuff was demolished. They went in, the ah. banks went in and just tore down entire subdivisions. Wow. So there were slabs everywhere. People were pitching tents on the slabs hmm. and living in them. You know, there was tent cities. They're probably still out there, but some of these communities were bought up and they continued to rebuild. But builders are not getting ahead. Mm-hmm. So that's the interesting thing to watch because they all know as well, it's interest rates. They got burned before. We all know it's all interest rates and it's all about this trend right now that as soon as we get this behind us, people love the cities, man. They just yeah. love that. And it's, it's going to come back, you know? Well then let's, let's talk about the flippers and making money, right? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I was seeing a six to eight quarter, so call it a year and a half to two year window where if you're buying the ugly duckling on the street and you're buying it right, there's always that caveat. Mm-hmm. Um, you can make some good money flipping to FHA buyers, but maybe what I'm hearing you say is that might be risky because maybe it's only a six month window. What do you think? It's all interest rates. So that's, that's the key. You got to watch those interest rates. So if interest rates start creeping up, it does two things. Number one, it reduces the amount that somebody can buy. So for every point, um, I think what it is for every point in the interest rate. So if it goes from 2% to 3%, it can reduce the price point of a house of what somebody can buy by $50,000 or more. That's what I've heard. Depending on how low those rates are. So the higher you go, the, the more it inflates that discrepancy. So um, I'd have to do the math. But that's what you got to watch. And that's what happens with builders. Is builders, you know, with the price point, they'll go out and they'll build inventory thinking, man, I can sell these houses for 500 grand. The interest rate ticks up a half a point to yeah. a point. It's like, uh-oh, now I have to sell this for, or you know, 450, yeah. you know, or 400. So that creates a problem. So as a flipper, you want to make sure that you're looking at a 90-day in and out Okay. I'll tell you the sweet spot where there's really opportunity is to be the guy that finds the deals and then sell them to a flipper. Ah, the wholesaler. You know, yeah. Yeah. Wholesaling is where it's at. Realtors, you know, get some investors on your list that are, that are buying and flipping, but finding the properties that are ready to sell 
that's where the gold is right now. Well, let's talk about that a little bit more because I have my opinion on that. So let's see if I have it right in your opinion. Uh, basically finding distressed sellers, right? Distressed assets. Uh, in my world, that's something that doesn't qualify FHA, right? Maybe it's a bad roof or there's something with it because anything that can go FHA is going to get bid up, period. Mm -hmm. There's just not enough supply in most cities. So if you can go in and find an asset like that, that has something cosmetically wrong, roof, windows, paint, whatever it is, or they're in a situation where they need cash fast, they're moving, they inherited it, whatever. Uh, those are the opportunities to look for because you can lock them up, sell the contract to a flipper and move on. Is that fair? Yeah. Or you can do, if it's just cosmetic, you can just do it yourself, but you know, uh, you don't even have to close. So, you know, you can make a good spread without even having to close and just, you know, mm -hmm. have no risk, nothing like that. So I guess what I'm saying is the key is in finding the deals. Right. So the key is not in renovating and selling the house. It's in finding the deal. Yep. If you can find the deal that has margin, then you have a lot of options. You can keep it, rent it, you can flip it, you know, and just make a, make a, you know, a, an assignment fee. Uh, people call that wholesaling, mm -hmm. you know, uh, tying a property up, putting it under contract. And then Michael, I come to you and say, Hey man, I got this house. They're willing to sell it for a hundred. You know, it's worth, you know, 200 efforts fixed up. Right. I'll assign you my contract for 20 grand. You'll do that deal all day long. Yep. So that's the assignment of a contract. People call that wholesaling, right? Wholesaling really technically is buying and then buying at wholesale, then reselling at retail. That's what a wholesale transaction technically is. So mm -hmm. what we're talking about is the assignment of a contract, which is legal in most states. Some states are requiring licensure to do that now, which again, if, it, if that ever got challenged in court, I don't think it would hold up because when you contract a property, you have equitable title. But anyways, mm -hmm. um, the key is in finding these motivated sellers. So you call them distressed. And what you're really looking for is motivation. It doesn't okay. necessarily have to be a distressed property in the physical sense of okay. disrepair. Okay. It just needs to be a motivated seller that has to sell mm -hmm. for any number of reasons. And that can be at any level. So FHA isn't necessarily the key. It's, you know, conventional financing is the key. So they have to be able to get a conventional um, loan that's not jumbo. That's where your rates are really sweet right now. Yeah. FHA, a lot of times people equate that with first time home buyers. Okay. So, um, you, you know, as long as it's conforming, conventional, and uh, below the jumbo threshold, there's, there's really cheap, easy money out there right now. Although I did read something the other day that says that it is going to right now get a little bit more difficult to borrow, higher credit score, maybe a little bit more money down because of what's going on. Yeah. And the other thing to watch is the banks. So JP Morgan, you know, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America have all set aside money to write down loans in the commercial and the residential market because they, they know sure that have. there's a wave of defaults coming. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the banks are, are positioning there. That's why the Fed gave them all this money mm -hmm. so that they could make a bunch of money trading so that they could offset those losses. So yeah. uh, for you, those of you that are watching JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs come out with these, you know, what they make? $4 billion, $12 just billion. Dollars stupid number. Record. Yeah. Some stupid number. Right. And they coincidentally, that's the same amount of money they set aside. <laughs> they wrote down. Yeah. Okay. Who's running the treasury in the Fed? Yeah. The former Goldman Sachs. You yep. know, VP partner and a foreman, former JP Morgan executive. And JP Morgan made huge, you know, yes, they did. dollar trading. Yeah. So, you know, when you see these things happening, it's, I'm not saying there's conspiracy. All I'm saying is that's a good thing yeah. because they've given them money at zero interest to earn money so that mm -hmm. they can offset these losses. So it's going to be a wash that hopefully won't trickle down to us. But the short term pain is interest rates 
um, they're not interest rates, but loan qualifications, they are saying could get a little bit more difficult, higher credit score, yeah. a little bit more money down, more, more difficult to qualify for a mortgage in the near term. While, yeah. while things are escalating. Well, the other thing, let's just stay on the banks because that was something I watched last week because they all came out with earnings. And just so we're mm -hmm. clear, right, they collectively set aside more for bad debt in Q2 than Q1. Um, yeah. That was something I was watching last week. And they did, did that by about 50%. So it's a significant number. Yeah. But then there's also Wells Fargo and Bank of America, right? These are two traditional banks, not Wall Street banks. They don't have a trading desk, right? JP Morgan, right. Goldman Sachs, uh, City, uh, Morgan Stanley, all made either money trading stocks or bonds, record numbers mm -hmm. because of what yeah. you went through. But let's talk about Wells Fargo, right? Wells Fargo, at least last time I checked, was the largest bank by asset value. They've been in the penalty box for four years now because of the trading account scandal and, or no, not trading account, but their account scandal, which rightly so. Um, and they set across, they set aside the most reserves, just over six billion after four billion in Q1. Um, you know what? And, and right now they're the bank that's locking down the most, right? They've raised credit scores, minimums. They said mm -hmm. they're not doing refis unless you deposit a million bucks with me. And they basically they're not taking any risk, I, near as I can tell right now. Any thoughts on Wells Fargo specifically? Yeah, so they have a lot of exposure. So they are in yeah. the mortgage market, you know, so that's why. Because they, they, so that's your indicator, you know, that there's a lot of, you know, default in the pipeline and a lot of, you know, forbearance that they're working out right now. What's the real result of that? What is it really going to look like? And we're not going to know that until next year. Next year. We're yeah. going to get through the fall. We get towards the end of this year, it, it depends. So like a Wells Fargo might be more interested in clearing the books and just getting it off the book. So there could be a wave of foreclosures, but you know, at the end of the year. So mm. for everybody listening, you know, just kind of keep your eyes on that. You know, there could be a foreclosure wave coming the end of this year. If what these banks are seeing on their books comes to fruition and, you know, it doesn't seem like they're going to extend this unemployment bonus because that's keeping people from going back to work. When we mm. want to get people back to work, there might be something, but, with businesses shutting back down again in a lot of areas and without that bonus and with taxes that were due last week, people have to pay that, mm -hmm. you know, there's, um, you know, there's potential uh, defaults coming down the pipeline. And I think the banks are going to be more interested in just foreclosing and getting them off the books because they have to mark those assets to market otherwise and carry them on the books, which is more damaging to a bank's ability to lend mm -hmm. uh, than just writing it off and getting it off the books. Yeah. Yeah, let's get back to making some money, right? So yeah. we were talking about flipping. I think there's an opportunity. I think it is in the single family space because mm -hmm. you got to know who's buying today, right? Conventional. Um, I do not think it's in value add multifamily. In fact, I think that's probably one of the worst places to be unless you get one of those unicorn deals uh, because yeah. there's been no price discovery. Debt's different. Uh, reserves are different. Um, escrows are different. Um, yeah, so that's I a yield play right now. Yeah, I think it's all about single family homes. And if you're in a hot market, uh, mm -hmm. where you, where you can tell, right. You can just talk to agents where it's 60% of normal listings. Uh, if you can get in and out, as you said, in three or four months, I mm -hmm. think you have a chance to make some money. Assuming you know your market, you know, your numbers, you manage the project, all those other things. But, um, I think that's a pretty good place to be today. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I think so. The key is going to be finding those. So if you can't find them, build them. So that's, ah. that's a great space to be in right now is doing some spec development. Now that's going to take you six months plus. Yeah. you know, to do that. But I think you're still okay. I think interest rates right now are, are going to be okay. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're in these areas, I think if you can get it done by the end of the year, uh, you know, you're in a little better position. If you're looking for, you know, finished lots that you can just, all you need the permit, you can get built. 
and you've got a good builder, but the key is going to be getting it done. Timeframes and new construction is, is, is pretty difficult right now. Mm -hmm. You know, flipping houses. I mean, but that's where it's at. So if you can bring inventory to the market in residential mm -hmm. um, right now, some markets it's condos, some markets it's townhouses, some markets it's single family. So know your market, know the sweet spot. And then when you talk about those inventory levels, know the, um, uh, you know, the absorption rate. Yep. So when they went from 12,000 houses to 8,000, how many were sold? You know, how many are under contract? What's that absorption rate? What does that inventory mean? Does 8,000 houses mean that the month's worth of supply or does it mean that six months worth of supply? Yeah. So you need to look at that in terms of your timing and how long you can hold out. You know, so if you've got housing you're bringing on the market in the next, you know, six to 12 months, you know that you can work through them if there's that much pent up demand. Yeah. The other thing I'm just starting to see, and this is a single variable, but I'm curious what you think. It looks like lumber is becoming more expensive. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when you're yeah. talking about building, we could really see inflation in what goes into a house, right? Lumber, steel, cement, you know, all of those things. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that, that's always the case. As demand rises, those prices go up. You know, lumber's a commodity, so it's traded. Mm -hmm. You know, um, a lot of building materials are. Some of the components are more fixed, but uh, everything has petroleum. You know, there's petroleum-based products. There's, yeah. you know, shipping to get them there. There's the tariffs that are going on. When all that was happening with China a couple of years ago, we saw, you know, steel just all of that, all, all of a sudden shoot up. Uh, there was back during the building boom when China was buying up all the concrete and steel everywhere. So that's top prices up in this country. But, um, you know, right now we're seeing uh, the supply chain is a little bit stressed. So uh, they've increased prices to get goods, you know, to the job site. Um, mm -hmm. Labor has gone up a little bit, you know, and that's really, you know, if you want to be in the building business, you know, either the subcontractor, um, you know, or the developer, that's who's making money. The builders are getting squeezed out because things are going up so much. They yeah. can't raise their margins exponentially to keep up with it because the price points just won't make any sense. So it's, yeah. you know, construction costs have gone up in the last two years, probably 20, 25% across the board. Yeah. And again, I, again, in, inflation in the, you know, basically housing is sticks and bricks, right? It, it, it is a collection mm -hmm. of commodities. Um, I, I just, I'm starting to think, and I would not have said this three months ago. I think there's a good chance that the single family home sees, could see double digit price increase or value increase, you know, talking median prices uh, across a lot of different metros this year. Yeah. Well, we're already seeing that in some markets, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's starting to become more 2009-esque, you know, with low interest rates, values increasing, whereas we saw price point threshold before, you know, like when I say before, before coronavirus, so earlier this year, last year, we were seeing a cap, you know, people just wouldn't pay, but so much, there wouldn't be these multiple offers, you know, mm -hmm. on a lot of properties. Now in certain markets in certain areas, that's been going on for the last couple of years. Um, Cause inventories have been down really for the last <laughs> couple of years and interest rates have been really low. And now it's even more in, in certain areas, just because the rates are so, so low. It just, you know, people are like, man, it just, we might as well own it. It doesn't make any sense not to. Yeah. And again, I think something that will be, that's not appreciated today that will be appreciated in the next six months is we are seeing renters from big cities become owners in the suburbs. Yeah. Um, the question is, how long will that stay? How yeah. long will that remain the case? And that's the big question that we don't know. Yeah. And um, I think it, well, let's, know. let's debate that a little bit. I think it's going to be stickier than most people think because we will have a generation that, you know, right now are the millennials, if you will, and young adults that have been raising probably a child or two, or they're single uh, in, an, in a vertical city, in a shoebox. Then they go to the suburbs, they get a backyard, they get a pool, 
They get a fenced front yard. They have an extra office for their Zoom calls. I don't see them going back. I think once you get a taste of that, and oh, by the way, you're the owner and you can paint it any color you want and get a pet. I don't see them going back. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So when you think about why are they in the city to begin with, usually it's jobs. So a job uh, is what brought them to the city. That's true. And then what, you know, the other reasoning, and this is coming from talking to people who have left, like yeah. New York, Manhattan, downtown, they were there for work. And they're like, you know, we pay a premium to live in New York for the entertainment. We're here for a job. We can work anywhere in our job. We can mm. work wherever. But we live here because we want to, we, you know, we pay a premium to be here. We don't need a vehicle. We can get around on foot and we have all this entertainment. Yeah. And when this, when the, when New York shut down, they were like, yeah, there's really no reason to be here. Right. And if it's going to be restricted, that kind of takes the reason away of why we're paying a premium to live here. Got it. So that's one reason a lot of people are leaving. The other one is jobs. So now it's like, well, you can work anywhere. And people are like, well, shoot, if I don't have to be here, I'm not going to live here. Because yeah. there are people that hated being in New York or being in D.C. or being in Seattle or San Francisco yeah. or wherever. Yeah. And the only reason they were there was for the job. No question. But now those people can go wherever. And these companies are saying, you know what? We're going to let people work from wherever they want in perpetuity. Yeah. So that is another fundamental change that could, like to what you're saying, could you know keep people... Uh, moving to the suburbs permanently and not revisiting and returning to the city is that environment. But that's really what needs to happen is the jobs. I mean, that's what brings people to the city to begin with. People totally. don't go to New York because they're like, I just want to go to New York. Yeah. Well, mostly. Yeah. They're going there for a job. Yeah. That's again, it is all about jobs. You know, it, I'll just pick on Twitter. Cause that was the first one that I remember saying, you know, you can work from anywhere, get out of here basically right there. Mm -hmm. They're headquartered downtown San Francisco. Um, but the other thing I think that is that I just want to put out there is I, I don't know what the owner home ownership rate is today. I, I think it's 59%. It might be 61. It's, it's some, let's call it 60 for a round number. I think with what we're seeing with the switch from renters to owners, we may see the ownership rate tick up to 62 or 63%, which again, mm -hmm. I think is a net, a good thing. I think, I think people owning properties, owning their own home, you know, you own it long enough, you build wealth. And I think that'll be net positive for, you know, the, the citizens, I think. Yeah. You know, so that's an interesting question too, because it, it depends. All right. Okay. So in 2009, that wasn't true. Oh, that's right. If right? you lost all your wealth. Yeah. So it, it depends on where you are in the cycle. So, you know, the question is, is that a place where you're actually building wealth mm. or are you just storing cash? Okay. So if you got to live somewhere, and make a payment, you're living somewhere where eventually you own it outright. So at least your payment is mm -hmm. building, it's a savings account. Yeah, for savings. But is it so. really going to build wealth? It just depends on where we are in the cycle because all that needs to happen is for interest rates to go back up over uh, 4%. Yeah. It used to be five, now it's four. And what happens when that happens? You know, mm -hmm. demand goes down, values go down. So the only thing that's driving demand and driving mm -hmm. these values is interest rates. And it was the same thing in 2000 four and five when we were at the peak of the market the first time. And as soon as rates started ticking up, the market started tailing off. And then mm. when financing dried up and interest rates went up in 2009, it crashed. Mm. So we will reach that point again. Mm. You know, this will be over at some point and inflation will start to take hold. Mm. And the only way to check inflation is interest rates. Yeah. That's how the Fed controls the economy and takes the, you know, either accelerates or decelerates, inflates, deflates the economy. Yeah. At some point, we have to deflate what's happened. Yeah. So again, right, so much stuff to think about. So again, I think in the short term, uh, just all, 
all signs point to higher values in the short term. Mm -hmm. Call short term right whatever now. you want. Yeah, right now. But you're right. 2030, 2028, 2026, you know, pick a time. Interest rates are going to go up. They can't stay at sub 3% forever. I, I don't think anybody's yeah. calling that. And here's the big one. So here's the other thing a lot of people aren't thinking about and aren't looking at. Number one, insurance costs are through the roof, especially multifamily. They're mm. double what they were even two years ago with all this, COVID lawsuits and all that. So interest rates are going up. Costs to operate income properties are going up due to this environment. Um, the big bomb that's going to drop everywhere, property taxes. So we mm. have to fill the holes in the deficit yeah. in the city, states, and counties that have had to shut down and don't have that sales tax revenue yep. that they've been getting. So your taxes are going to go up. So from a property ownership standpoint, you know, I don't know what it's like in your area. You know, my area is not too bad, but New York's like through the roof, New Jersey. Yeah. I mean, those are places where people pay, you know, 10%, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so we're going to see those things start to increase. So that will affect values in real estate as well. For sure. Um, it, you know, the cost of ownership. So when you look at it from that wealth building standpoint, you know, just be mindful of taxes, you know, just be mindful of interest rates, be mindful of supply and demand. Um, you know, everybody said, oh, we're going to be a renter nation. You know, um, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think mm -hmm. there's always going to be people that want to own. Mm -hmm. um, where is that number balanced out? Is it 50%? Is it, you know, like you said, I think right now, 30% of all households are rentals, mm -hmm. you know, or somewhere around there. Um, does that get to 50? You know, mm -hmm. I just, you know, people want to own. They want to know they don't have to move. They want to know that their rent's not going to get increased on them. They want to know that they can paint whatever they want to paint, whatever, yeah. you know. There's always going to be a certain amount of the population that's going to want to own. So that's not going away. The question is, at what point is that not sustainable yep. and affordable? Yeah. All I know is it's exciting times. It's certainly, it's amazing to think about the opportunities and the things we have to think about for the next six to 12 months, given we're in a health crisis. I mean, yeah. <laughs> usually yeah, real estate's equation. kind of... Yeah, usually real estate's kind of boring, right? It goes on a trend yeah. and it, you can see the trends coming. Now it's, I would have never guessed supply would be 30% of normal. I would have never guessed. Yeah, yeah it's, it's an interesting thing. And when you look at the history of real estate over time and you look at the booms and busts, it's all interest rates. It's yeah. all interest rates and financing. So that's why the 30-year mortgage became a thing. And so people could buy a house, mm. right? So, you know, so it didn't used to be that way. It used to be savings and loans and it was a more short-term thing. Yeah. Um, so that's number one. Number two, so right now, great time to make money if you can find the deals. Right. When it flips and the market starts tanking, you can still make money. And I did very well in 2009 and 10, you know, with my infill strategy. I just chased the market down. So as values went down, I reversed it. So if I was paying 200000 for that property today that was worth three hundred, well, if it's worth, you know, two fifty, well, now I'm paying one seventy five. Right. You know, so I just, I, chased, I, I led the market down uh, just like you lead it up. Mm -hmm. So if you're ahead of the cycle, you understand the economics, which is interest rates, um, and, uh, days on market yep. and inventory levels, you know, supply, demand, interest rates. So if you monitor those things, you know, you will be able to stay ahead of that curve and lead the market up and down. And there's always money to be made in each one. It just, believe it or not, it gets easier on the way down because you can get more house. Yeah. Well, I was going to tell you, I was just going to say what you just said. It is easier on the way down. My most active year was 2010 because we learned our market, we watched, we knew what was going on. But the real reason is everybody was scared. When the market goes up, I don't know why it is, human nature, everybody chases. The market yeah. rolls over, everybody runs away. I'm like, yeah. why does this happen every time? Uh, and it'll happen again. It, it just, 
it just always does. So yeah. I, I mean, oh, look at the NASDAQ, man. The NASDAQ's almost double. Yeah, it's, it's, it's what, 20% above its all-time high yeah. right now? And it's almost doubled the bottom where it was at in, in March when this all started. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, what's getting ready to happen there, you know? Amen to that. All right, man. Well, thank you for doing this. This is fun. I think, I think flipping single-family homes for the conventional loans is a great place to be for the next, let's call it, year. I think that's a yeah, wise strategy. Or building and selling if, you, yep. if you're in that mode and you can do that. You know, bringing brand-new inventory, that's the way to go. Very cool, man. Well, thank you very much for your time.